Welcome to Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petralis, and we are so excited for today's episode. And before we jump into our coach, I just want to give a special shout out to Lou's Deli in Lowell. Uh, we visited there last week. Um, you know, Andy, one of the co-owners, was a really good guy, made some great sandwiches. We tried the Tony Soprano, and it was as advertised. It was even better than I thought it could be. Um, you know, Tony's the man at, at Baseline, so having a sandwich after you is, is awesome, too. So it was a great spot, uh, you know, super reasonably priced. Um, and as I said, Andy was awesome and treated us with a lot of kindness and respect. So it was great time, great for everybody. And I just wanted to give them a shout out. Uh, we're going to jump into our coach today. I'm really excited. You know, I've heard a lot about this coach. I'm from the Mefford area, as a lot of you guys know. Um, so, you know, I've heard about this coach for quite a while since being at the school and, you know, all the great things he's done and, and how involved he is with the community. So it was awesome to be able to reach out to him and have him agree to come on here and, and talk with us a little bit. So the head football coach at Tufts University, ladies and gentlemen, Jay Savetti. Andy, thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully next time I can get up to low with you because that sandwich sounds pretty amazing. So yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe we need to make a like a regular post game show up there. So I love it. I, I tell you, you know, we're trying to find the best spots to like go after a game or go before a great game to grab something to eat before you see a football game or a basketball game at that high school level. And sure. that's a good spot, man. It's a really good spot. So it'll be, uh, I, you know, for people who haven't tried it, you gotta, you gotta take the trip up to, to Lowell. It's awesome. Cool. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, coach, we're really glad we have you on here today. And, and as I said, you know, uh, you come as advertised. I've heard a lot of great things about you over the years. And really, it's an honor to have you on here. So I'm just going to kind of jump into it. I know as a player, I love to give play, you know, coaches their street cred where it's deserved a little bit as a player. And I looked up some information on you. And, you know, I have here that you played at Trinity. You started 32 games. Um, and you were one of the best linemen in the NASCAR your senior year. Um, to start 32 games, it means that, A, you're pretty good. B, you're pretty smart and pretty tough guy so um you know i want to give you your yeah. street cred there that you deserve well i, I look I, I i got probably a bunch of buddies that are gonna that are gonna get on me for this one so <laughs> I, you know i appreciate you bringing that up that was a long time ago uh I, I, I was really lucky to play for some great coaches at a at a great at a great university uh college that i you know proud of my time there i had some awesome teammates and um you know be able to be a guy from from Trinity is, is something I take a great deal of pride in, except for one day during the during the year. So when you play them, yeah, I get yeah, it. That's, I get that's it. The only, it's, the only, it's the only time, but I, it's uh, and that's not even true because I, I I'm I'm very proud of my uh, very proud of my university. So that's cool. That's a great story. Um, so I'll jump into it. Obviously, you know you love football. You're very involved. That you play at a high level. You played a good conference at a very good school academically as well. So you're a pretty smart guy. I mean, talk about when you knew that maybe okay, when I hang up the pads, I kind of want to jump to the other side a little bit and really get involved in the game from a coaching aspect. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think I always loved, you know, coaching was in my blood. My mom coached high school sports for 20 plus years, um, you know, came from a family of, of coaches uh, at, you know, aunts and uncles as well that had been involved in athletics. Um, I actually, coming out of Trinity, I, I had a job in the IT sales consulting world um, I have a brother who's eight years younger than me and he was a freshman at Wellesley high school. And I came home, was supposed to start my job after graduation. And, uh, they had a captain's practice that I went over to. Um, and I was out in that field and just something clicked, you know, it was just, it was a real connection. It was something that I knew that I, I really wanted to do. So, um, I had reached out to the, to the, group that had hired me and said, Hey, look, I'm, I, I just, I'm not in this thing hundred percent and I don't, I don't want to do anything that I'm not hundred percent into. So, um, ironically, the guy that hired me was a guy I looked up to played football at Holy Cross and I played football with his brothers at Trinity. So, 
I think he understood, uh, and he's, he's been a huge supporter of, uh, of me and everything I've done in football since. So uh, certainly grateful for that time. He said, if I'm going to make this choice, make sure I do it right. So uh, trying, to, trying to hold him true to that. So that, that's really when it happened. Um, I think probably all along I always knew I wanted to be a coach. I loved hanging around the coaches. Um, you know, I, I certainly loved the intricacies of the game and, um, you know, just the connection and the, and the experience that you have with, uh, with your coaches and your players is a unique one. And uh, ultimately, that's, that's why I do what I do. Yeah, I mean, there's something, I mean, there's so many of my coaches that I still keep in touch with that I see on such a personal level now that I'm, you know, older and, and friendly with, you know, and yeah. I text with and talk to and yeah, it is cool. You do build some sort of relationship and football is just a little bit different. Every sport has a relationship with their coaches. But there's something about football with the hours and the amount of time that you put into it and how much you're around the kids that, yeah, you just build these bonds and relationships with them that seem to last, you know, long beyond the game when it's over, you know. Um, so obviously part of, you know, being a coach and, and the journey of coaching is that you take a lot of different jobs and you do want to do a lot of different things because you learn from different people. Now, I know one person that you worked under was Tom O'Brien, uh, at time at BC and as well as, uh, NC state. And you worked and when you were there, I mean, I'm just going to throw a name out there, obviously BC quarterback, Matt Ryan, you know, you were there during, you know, his time at BC as well. I mean, I guess I'll ask you this question in two parts. One, talk about working under a guy like Tom O'Brien and what you learned so much from him. And second, like seeing a guy like Matt Ryan, I mean, elite quarterback at the college level that was bound for the NFL first round draft pick. Um, I mean, talk a little bit about, you know, just your time there and what you learned under such a great coach and seeing some great players play. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, BC was a, was a special place in my life. And yeah, I was really lucky to be around guys like Matt. Uh, but there were, a, there were a handful of guys. I mean, I think there was maybe 10, uh, you know, first day draft picks uh, at the offensive line there and a handful of other great guys. Um, I think the thing I probably learned most from Coach O'Brien, you know, he, he was a Naval, a Na Naval Academy grad, Marine. Um, not, not a lot of frills to him. Uh, very consistent in terms of his expectations. Um, I think his commander's intent was, was very clear. And I think his military background, um, you know, really uh, carried, carried through to our program. Um, you knew what was expected. Uh, he was very clear and upfront about what, what those standards of excellence were. Uh, and, and I think he held you accountable to him, regardless of, you know, what your role was within the organization. Um, you know, so I think, I think the thing that I've tried, that I've tried to emulate from, from my experience with Coach O'Brien is, just, just trying to be really clear about what's expected and um, not try to micromanage, you know, do, do more so do the management in the explanation and in the um, support structure of what, what it is that you need you guys to do, uh, whether it's your staff or your players. Uh, and, and that's something I, you know, I really appreciated um, from learning from Coach O'Brien. Uh, you know, he, he let his assistant coaches do their thing, you know, and I, I think that that, in turn allowed us to have the success that we had there because he had, he had great staff, you know, he had really, really good, good coaches, good, good men, um, who, you know, who knew what they were doing and weren't micromanaged. And uh, I think at the end of the day, that, th that was a huge byproduct of why we were successful. Um, in addition, as we all know, you know, I mean, X's and O's are one thing, but you know, it comes down to the guys executing. When you got a guy like Matt Ryan, um, you know, it, as unique uh, as an individual as I've been around, you know, still to this day, salt of the earth. Um, you know, it, it certainly has never gotten to his head. He's, you know, as much as I'm sure he loves being a, 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 a one of the best, uh, you know, statistical quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, 
I bet you his number one thing that he loves is, is being a dad, you know, uh, and he was just always that kid um, from the day when we first met him and he came into to, to camp as a, as a recruit. And then when he came to preseason that following year um, and that, you know, I, one of the cool things about BCN and college football is, you know, you develop relationships with the family, like, you know, Mike's dad, great, great, great group of people, great, awesome guy, um, you know, was just someone who, you know, I always would find me at the end of a game, high five before a game, high five, you know, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, I, I, none of us were surprised that Matt had the success that he's had and, and has done what he's done, you know, I mean, I, um, so yeah, pr pretty cool to see him grow and uh, become who he is today, you know? Um, yeah. And I mean, you mentioned one thing about, and just jumping back to coach O'Brien for a second, not micromanaging his assistant coaches. I mean, I would say at that level, when guys are there, I mean, that's, they're there, they're in it. They want to grow in it. They want to be great at it. So, you know, letting your guys coach a little bit, knowing that they're at that highest level of college football and they want to continue to grow. Like, yeah, letting your coaches coach. That's really cool to hear. Even at that division one level that a lot of head coaches can be like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it fosters uh, ownership and, you know, I think guys lean into it a little bit more when they know that they're being respected for what they were brought in to do, you know, and that doesn't happen everywhere. You know, I mean, I, I my, my assumption is at least in the places that I've been, uh, which hasn't been that many, you know, with coach O'Brien, it was, it was a direct correlation in terms of the success that we had uh, and the ability for our kids to execute because there weren't, there weren't a lot of voices, you know, it was yeah. very clear and concrete, you know, here's what's expected. Here's how it's going to be done. And then, you know, we, we let them go play. Yeah. I mean, clear expectations, keep it simple, keep it easy. And yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and a really cool story just to tie in there. I know we're going to jump into a minute of your, your time at Tufts right now, but you know, just the Tufts and NC state correlation. I mean, I thought something that was really cool was I heard after one of your seasons when Tufts, you know, guys were over, you actually kind of jumped and helped out NC state with coach O'Brien uh, in a bowl game. Just talk a little bit about that to the audience. I think that's a really yeah. cool story coaching D three, then boom, all of a sudden you're coaching D one in a bowl you know, bowl game level. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of like one of those bittersweet uh, experiences. So my mentor, Dana Bible, who was the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, wide receiver coach um, at NC state um, at the time, he, he had, he had uh, a really bad and tough bout with cancer. Um, and the week prior they had played Virginia tech and coach was, was really not in a great place. And ultimately uh, within hours after that game or during that game ended up in the hospital. Um, I, you know, I, I don't remember the, how exactly everything worked. Uh, our season had ended. There was a phone call or two from some people. And the next thing I know, Coach O'Brien had been able to ask for a waiver for the NCAA to add a coach back in. You know, I had GA'd for those guys for six years. Um, so I think it was more just a byproduct. They, they, they were going to play Carolina, actually which down there is like a bowl game. It's like a national championship game for NC State. Um, so, you know, I think coaches want to make sure that we had everything that we needed without having to disrupt too much. Um, so, uh, you know, coach uh, brought me down on, I think it was Sunday morning. Uh, you know, I was there for meetings that day. Really, it was just a kind of a continuation for what we had had from all the years prior. So, um, you know, really just paying my dues back to a group of guys that, you know, had helped me get to where I was getting to. and. Um, yeah, there was, you know, it was pretty cool being able to go out there and go from coaching, you know, some D3 guys and being able to have, you know, Russell Wilson in your room and talk and shop with them and, um, 
you know, really just being there is maybe moral support most than anything else. Uh, I mean, I was like trying to mathematically go backwards, and I was like, I was wondering if Russell Wilson was his quarterback. And yeah, he was, he was it. Uh, and it was awesome. I mean, it was a great game. We won, and we made it work. Uh, it was during Thanksgiving week. And one of the coolest things about all that, aside from just going to be back and be a part of that win and be back with the guys that, you know, that cut my teeth with, um, you know, T.O.B. Coach O'Brien uh, surprised me on Thanksgiving, flew my wife down for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh. Uh, we had it with the team, you know, so uh, a lot, lot of cool memories from that, that, that experience. And at the end of the day, the thing I'm most grateful for is, you know, Coach Bob went on to continue his career as healthy. Uh, you oh, know, he's re- retired now. He just retired from UCLA after this last year, but um, Actually, he and Russell have been training uh, uh, for, for this season. So, um, you know, certainly uh, certainly happy at the end of that for, yeah, the W, but more that coach uh, coach got after cancer and beat it. So That's yeah, awesome. That's great to hear. I'm glad that he did that. And, yeah, what, I mean, what an amazing experience. I mean, Russell Wilson, that's cool. I, I didn't know that. And I wanted uh, to ask, and then I was like, I'm not going to ask him during this. And then you said, I was like, thank God. He yeah, said it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was, you know, like, and he made this one pass. Uh, we ran this one play, and. This kid Owen Spencer ran a post over the top, tight end running base across, and it was like one of Russell's favorite play versus quarters and the safety bit. And I saw the whole, like you could just see it from upstairs, and yeah, he just yeah. let that thing launch, and he he ran over to pick the phone. I'm like, man, I've been waiting to see that for a long time. You know, like I missed I missed that because when when I was there that that first year, GA, and he was redshirt, and so he was just terrorizing the the defense as the scout team guy. So pretty cool to see it live. So. Yeah, that, that is really cool. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and now I want to jump into Tufts a little bit. So I know, you know, we'll kind of, you know, weave through things a little bit. You know, I know that you were the offensive coordinator there. Uh, and you had a pretty good relationship with your head coach and, you know, someone who's a pretty big mentor in your life. And, um, you know, obviously that coach, you know, steps down and you're the next guy up. And I have a similar story with my mentor, someone who I played for and coached with for a long time and, you know, stepping for, and those are huge shoes to step in for the person that you really look up to and like, you know, you idolize and now you're stepping into the shoes. I mean, talk about that moment of yeah. maybe taking over for somebody that just means a lot to you. Yeah. You know, that was a, an interesting time professionally and personally. And I, and I think luckily, um, you know, Sam, uh, coach Samco is now the offensive line coach at Bentley. Um, you know, I think he, he was, he made sure that I, that I learned how to do that. You know, um, you know, at the end of the day, he, you know, he cared about Tufts football and the kids that were, that were in it. So he wanted to make sure that the, that the best could happen for those kids. Um, which is something I always, you know, look up to with him in that situation, you know, and just kind of what was going on in his life and the decisions and the kind of course of, of what happened there. Um, but, it, you know, it was an interesting time. I mean, again, I, I was, had been in the offensive coordinator there with, uh, for two years and then all of a sudden uh, this opportunity ar- arises and it, and it kind of happened in segments. Uh, I think originally I was put in charge of, you know, there was no real title other than kind of making sure that the recruiting was going to go well. So we were just having recruiting conversations and then, that turned into me becoming the interim head coach, um, you know, as we went through the spring and then going into that first year, uh, the decision was made three quarters of the way through the season that I'd be the, the head coach there. So it was, it was an interesting time, you know, um, I, again, I, right place, right time. You know, I, I think that that's really what ultimately comes down to like most of the opportunities that, that we get in this profession. Um, but but certainly a trying one, you know. Le- learned a lot uh, about people and a lot a lot about myself. And um, you know, I'm not not a big regretter. So there, you know, I don't really look back and dwell on anything that I 
probably could have done better, but I, I, I probably know that there were, there were a lot of good things that I did. And then there were a lot of mistakes that I made. And I think that's kind of part of, you know, of, of learning, right? life Everything. and learning, right. That That's coaching. Right. I mean, I probably got more, got more, losses up there than any of us do wins when it comes if you really tallied everything up not just scores um you know so yeah a heck, a heck of an experience obviously grateful that that i had that um moment and um you know at the, the end of the day it's what what we have become certainly grew out of the, the positives and negatives during that time yeah you know it, it exposed a lot uh, about the support uh, of the program from a university standpoint um, you know, it, it brought people out of the woodwork, good and bad, uh, that were uh, you know, supportive or frustrated with the situation. Um, and, you know, none of us really had an idea that it would take as long as it did for us to turn it. Um, but grateful, grateful that that the opportunity arose and that, you know, we, we've gotten it to where it is today. Yeah, I mean, you guys are tremendous, you know, and, and that's what I really wanted to ask you as like a head coach, I take a look at myself when I was a head coach and I, I, I was a better coordinator than head coach. I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, and part of that is, you know, you come out the gate, you struggle a little bit. And, and for me, it was, that, that was a difficult part for me. You know, I, we, we lost six games before we won our first one and we lost some close games and you look back, like you say, and you're like, Oh my God, you know, I, there's so many plays you wish you could take back or moments in a game that you could take back that you just saw it kind of swing the other way a little bit. And uh, you know, so I, I totally understand that, but maybe talk about, because I know you didn't have a lot of success right out the gate. And I think that that's a real good lesson for coaches out there to say, you know, you have a plan, you have a program, you have something that you're sticking to and you want to see it build and good programs sometimes take that three, four or five years before it starts swinging. And personally, I think sometimes in sports, they don't give coaches enough time. You know, it's such a short life of what can you do for me in two or three years before they're reevaluating whether they want to keep you or they want to get rid of you. And it's a tough profession and it can be scary for coaches and not knowing that, but you know, you, you went through a tough time, but then you, you know, you flipped it around and you have a strong program. I got some numbers to back it up here that we'll say in a minute, but I mean, talk about that for coaches out there of what you went through, you fought through it. And now you have a pretty tough, consistent program over the last five years. Yeah. Um, I mean, for the first experience, the first lesson from all of it is, is the, you know, age old adage, you know, surround yourself with, with good people. Right. I've been really lucky to have a staff of guys that have, that have been there with me from the beginning. Um, you know, a few guys have actually left and come back and, you know, but I think the consistency with the staff has been important. Um, the, the support from the university has been um, amazing. President Monaco, you know, has, has been incredibly supportive of our program. Um, the, the alumni support has only increased, you know, um, you know, the, the, I've had two athletic directors during the job, both have uh, really helped instill a value system within our department that allows us to be successful. And, and ultimately, I mean, Tufts University certainly recruits itself, right? So, right. Um, I, you know, I think when you got a strong university, you got strong support systems, um, you know, there is, there is um, infrastructure that is, either in place or then created, you know, it, it allows you to have the success we've had, you know, I've just been really blessed to be, to be the person in charge during that time. But, um, you know, I, none of it would be done with, without all the other people that have been around it. Uh, you know, ultimately my, our, our story was uh, we were coming off a, a one in seven season. Um, you know, when I became the head coach uh, named the head coach, uh, I think we were 0 and five at the time. And, 
I got named the head coach on Thursday before Amherst, and I think Amherst hung 40 on us that next weekend. I'm pretty positive that Coach Mills might have taken three knees on the three-yard line so that the score wouldn't – so he wouldn't run up the score. Um, you know, he and I have gone back and forth on that for years. My recommendation is if you're going against the team that is losing and if they've got their starters, and just let them try to stop you. Don't the, – the knees were worse. That was a right. pretty low point. Pretty yeah. low point in the day, and, and that's not a knock on EJ. I mean, I, again, that's one of those conversations as staffs I think that people should have. Like, how do you do it right? How do you, how do you finish a game in that situation? You know, it's not one, hopefully, that you have to come across very often. But, uh, you know, that again, you talk about learning during your losing times. So that was one of those ones that I put up there. Someday I'm going to be in this situation. How do we handle it? So right. uh, still waiting for that one. But it, it's coming, <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah, so that season we went 0-8. Uh, the following year we went 0 and 8, and the next year we went 0 and 8. So we went three straight three state years. Uh, we had the longest active losing streak in the nation, um, and during that time, you know, it was obviously uh, as difficult a time in my life that that I've had professionally and 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 obviously personally too, right? I um, get it, yeah. With, with the type of investment that we've had, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, actually, I, I mean, the book someday will come out and uh, hopefully it'll pay for my daughters to go to college. But um, <laughs> if anybody's interested at that point, you know, so I appreciate your interest. Uh, you know, look, they're, they're, I will tell you this right now. There, there's no special parking space. There's no like, um, I, I don't know. I didn't have the Tony Soprano, so maybe that would have changed my luck. But like, there's no special meal. I've tried all the superstitions. Uh, none of them worked. Um I, again, I think going back to what you asked, like it, it was sticking sticking to who you wanted to be and making sure that you weren't uh, giving up on the the values and the core beliefs that you had, right? Um, you know, there there were a lot of people with advice, and I think one year I probably listened too much, uh, another year I probably didn't listen enough. So I I think in that realm, if people are reaching out to you, like I think you just need to make sure that you're filtering the voices, right? Because too many voices could uh, disrupt your focus. Um, and, you know, I, I really think it's, it's really embracing the people that aren't, um, that, weren't, that weren't skewed by what was happening, right? You know, our, our kids were still crushing it in the classroom, right? You know, the chief of police wasn't calling me every night saying you got bad kids, right? Right, they, right. These, these were good kids, right? Good, smart, hardworking kids. It was important to them. You know, that, that, that senior class, you know, that ended up winning their, their first game of their college career and then never won another game um, had some really, has some really special people in it, right? You know, to be able to stick that thing out right. and to be able to um, embrace what that experience was you know, certainly is a motivator for me because th those guys weren't giving up. I, I certainly sure as heck wasn't either. Right. So, yeah. you know, it, it was really this unique opportunity where you were recruiting and getting this excitement going from all these young kids, but you were really focused on these older kids of making sure that you were appreciative of what they were doing and day in and day out. And really after every game, I was like, guys, I know this is terrible. Um, if this isn't for you, no hard feelings. Like I get it. Losing's losing's the worst. Yeah. Um, but respect the work of others and just get out of the way, you know? And I think that we built confidence in that mindset um, where the change really happened is when we stopped worrying, like waiting for the other shooter to, to drop and we stopped looking at the scoreboard and, you know, really just focused in on how we practiced during the week, how we took care of each other, 
um, you know, uh, how we were able to be coachable um, as players and also be critical as coaches, but know that like intrinsically there was this, just this relationship to, to just be better. Like, you know, that was, that was it. Like that was, and we it's had so important and it's so important. And it's sometimes more important, like you said, than the X's and O's and all that stuff, because if you don't have a team that's together and a coaching staff that's together and is sticking together through that tough time, then nothing ever gets better. You know? Yeah. It was, that, that's when I really learned and fell in love with is, you know, building culture, you know, and embracing culture and, you know, pushing guys out of their comfort zone. Sure. You know, during inside run drill, but, you know, also in their relations with each other. Right. You know, and that time also allowed us to tie a lot of the lessons from on the field and in the classroom to life, you know, and being a good man and, you know, how are you going to handle a situation when you're, you know, a father in this situation or you're a husband or whatever it is you choose to be, you know? Um, and, and that's something maybe when you, if we had just hit the ground running and just started winning, um, I, I don't think I personally would have grown as much as I did during that time. And I certainly know that our kids and coaches wouldn't have done that either. So I, and I'm not trying to like make it silver lining, you know, I mean, it's, it's stunk during that time. I'm not going to lie. Like it was yeah. pure misery. It, I like, get it. I get uh, you know, I mean, I, Mike Vega wrote an article, like the paper, like saying we were going to end the streak, you know, just cause like, he, he, like, he's like, this has to end for you at some point. And he wrote this great article and it, it didn't, that didn't work either. So I, you know, I, I had Mike on the hook for a while on that one, but uh, <laughs> you know, eventually it came down to it, you know, September 20th, September 4, uh, 20th, 2014, um, we ended it. You know, we, we, I'd made a tombstone uh, down the street from my house as a, a tombstone uh, maker. And I had him take a little tombstone and write 31 on it because that was how many games we had lost. And we buried it uh, on the visiting team sidelines because my point to them was like, hey, that, it's just a number and it's not our problem anymore. It's someone else's. Yeah. If the other team wants to worry about it, let them. And, uh, you know, we, we buried that thing. Every guy on the team, dug a hole, dug the hole, put the, the brick in there. And every kid took the shovel and filled in the hole. And that shovel still gets carried around to this day. Um, a, a freshman earns it as they go throughout by other guys that have had the shovel. Uh, you know, those traditions and those little things kind of grew out of, out of those moments and experiences. It's huge, dude. It's huge. And, uh, yeah. You know, that, that's stuff that you can't have a takeaway. You, know, you, you, can't, you can't make that stuff up. Uh, those are the things that just emerge and, you know, uh, as bad as some of those times were, that's the, it's those things that made it. I, I'd still get on the bus and to Hamilton in 2011, knowing what I know now, like as hard as I was like, yeah, you know, those guys, there was a kid, Tommy Mead. I mean, he, he ended up probably being the change agent for it as, as I like to deem it. He hates when I say that, but uh, you know, local kid, his dad's a, you know, Somerville guy, uh, Tommy played at Malden Catholic um just a just a, a kid that bled brown and blue you know was there through the thick and the thin of it uh was a was a junior captain in 2014 and uh you know really i think was was a catalyst for the standards and expectations we had within our program and um really owe a lot of it to him you know yeah, uh, and, and and the first thing he'll say is he owes it to his teammates because they believed in him and promoted him so you know that's 
as cool as the winds are nowadays, there's, there's nothing that comes close to that. Yeah. Know? And I mean, that's it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you're, like you said, you're building a culture. You're, these are life lessons. Like these are things that life is hard and life sucks and it deals you curveballs, and, you know, to be able to overcome it, whether individually or with somebody or with a group of people or with family and love. I mean, all of that stuff correlates. They're so parallel to each other. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, like you said, you know, sometimes everybody talks about the rise, but in order to know the rise, there was a fall at some point. And, you know, and for you to rise through that and build this program, I mean, statistically just here um, over the last five years, you know, you're 29 and 14. Again, I could be wrong looking some of these numbers up. So if I am a little inaccurate, I apologize. But, you know, you from 2015 to 2018, you had four consecutive winning seasons for the first time since 1988. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, and, you know, it, it changing a culture is not easy. I mean, you were talking about it and but from that degree, that's really difficult and to get kids to buy into it. And I think at that moment of burying that, when you were saying that, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Like that gets you over the hump and gets you to the next part of your, you know, of your program and building that. And, you know, you could maybe look back at it and say that maybe that's when the change did happen. You know, when you did something like that in order to make the program take that step forward that it needed to. Yeah. yeah ironically, we're, we're getting a new uh, field. And when the guys heard that we were getting a new field, like all the guys from that, that class were like, coach, what about the rock? Right. We're gonna, so it's sitting there. We're going to have some sort of ceremonial reburying. I'm like, I'm not touching the thing. So that, yeah. like, hopefully we didn't, you know, wake up the, you know, the, the bad demons again, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, yeah. So the grass special. is gone. The grass field is yeah. gone. Wow. One of the last grass fields we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we got a great turf coming in and uh, excited to be able to, you know, be able to have some, a new surface, you know, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I love the grass, but yeah, the Tufts Oval, uh, that Zimmon field is, uh, is no longer grass. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, I, I, I used to, I used to work out there all the time as a kid. I lived like five, 10 minutes down the road from there and I run yeah. that track and run on that field all the time, all the time. Yes. Well, you got to come back and do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I got to get back <laughs> into shape. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, talking to Tufts and obviously systematically we'll jump into some of the, like the X's and O's a little bit. I mean, you're an old line guy. I mean, offensively, what do you guys like defensively? What do you like schematically? And um, yeah, just talk a little bit about who you are identity wise on the field. Yeah. I mean, across the board, physicality is, is uh, an important component to, to who we are and what we do. Right. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I think people shy away from saying football's a violent game, but it is right. You know, I mean, it's, there's a reason we wear helmets and shoulder pads and it's not, you know, just to protect the pretty faces. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, I think, um, some of football, as you know, has, is, is all about space now. Um, but I think that there is a core belief in, in our program and in mindset where, well, you know, we want to run the ball and we want to stop the run. Right. I mean, that's, those are the two core principles of what we do. We want to play, uh, you know, great defense and give the ball back to the offense as often as possible. And offensively, we don't want to turn the ball over. And uh, I think the probably one of the more underappreciated aspects of the game is in, is in the special teams world. Um, you know, I, I think I think games, more games are, are won or lost there aside from turnovers uh, in that phase, in particular one if you're a program that spends the time doing it. So, you know, it's, it's obviously a great place to get maybe guys that don't get on the field as much involved, but also I think it's a great way to show, uh, you know, your value of, of all phases of those games by allowing, you know, some of your best players to be in, in those moments. So, um, but, you know, offensively for us, you know, it, it, it always dictates around the quarterback. 
Um, you know, we, we, we've had running quarterbacks, we've had throwing quarterbacks, we've had dual guys. Um, you know, I, I, there are elements of spread to us. I think you start to see a change back to a little bit of power football, yeah. uh, you know, with teams playing kind of with that H sifter kind of guy in the backfield a little bit. Um, that can catch too, you know, so yeah. action games is pretty good out of it too, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you can get a little bit of the power run game going and obviously zone, um, you know, and defensively for us, you know, it, it, again, it becomes, I think if, if you can have a four man front and play a, you know, a four, two box, then great. Uh, you know, the reality of that kind of that outside linebacker guy for a lot of us, like the field guys are more safeties now than they are linebackers. Right. Um, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is uh, for us in recruiting, you know, we've got really young, young team uh, coming back this year, but we, we do have, I think we think a lot of talent at the linebacking level. So, you know, it's, you kind of go back and forth and, and, uh, yeah. you know, again, we want to be able to stop the run. So the minute you get a little lighter by taking a D lineman out and putting a linebacker in, you know, you just got to make sure that guy can set the edge and, you know, can, can own a gap and, you know, you can still free up the other guys to be able to, to play in the coverage game, you know, in our league. Uh, and on the last time you watch a NESCAC game, I mean, it, it's only gotten better and better. I mean, uh, there is very, there, the margin of error is very, very small. Uh, it, it, we don't have any buys. We go nine straight, uh, and it's a grind. And uh, the talent, you know, the other coach in the league, I, you know, I talk about being surrounded by some really, really great guys. It's it's an impressive group of coaches, and um, you know, it, it it's uh, it's it's a heck of a league on Saturdays to come and watch. If you've never seen an SCAT game, just pick any of them; you, you won't be disappointed. So, yeah, it is cool. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'll come to the new field. Is the new field going to be ready this year? That's what they're telling me. That's what they're telling me. So okay, so they're yeah, cutting it close. First, they're cutting it close. Our first game is uh, August tw- uh, September twenty fifth. So yeah. they they told me it'll be done at least a week before. So yeah, we'll <laughs> and it's probably I mean probably on both sides of the ball too. I mean you're, we're gonna see probably a lot more speed than you're used to seeing when you play at home because you know grass makes everything a little bit slower and uh, so it's so. probably gonna be a lot more you know speed that you'll see on the field as well. Yeah, it's funny we we practice on grass and turf during the week so. We're lucky to have that because, you know, our guys don't necessarily get dialed into one or the other. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure hey, we, we got we got a fast track. So uh, talk about people supporting us. We, we we were able to go out and get the best product we could get. And uh, I'm really, really excited about that. So that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. It's look you, fast. I can tell you that much. <laughs> uh, you know, and you talked about special teams and, and, you know, in December I had on David Cole, the uh, he's the associate head coach at Mercer, but he was also the uh, special teams when he was at Lenore Ryan and they led yeah. all division two in special teams. I mean, you mentioned that as a defensive coordinator, I remember when I told the head coach, I'm like, I want kickoff and I want punt. Like I want those special teams because they're defensive special teams and they're important and they can change a game in so many ways. You know, a crappy punt, a crappy snap over the punter's head is field position. You know, being able to pin somebody in a corner, it's great when you practice it and you shift and teams won't even rush you because they're like, what are they doing? They're shifting into a spread punt. Like it was just fun and kickoff can change games and cause turnovers and change field position so i mean at the college level are you practice in special teams a lot i mean is it in your schedule pretty much on a daily basis yeah i, I probably over overemphasize it uh to be honest with you but it's uh you know i mean on average i think it's somewhere between 35 and 40 snaps in a game you know um that's a lot right you know and i think when you think about it um the amount of variables that exist in special teams is pretty significant 
you know? And, and to your point about kickoff, like I, I've always been on offense and I never really appreciated, you know, gap responsibility and gap control. And, you know, all of a sudden, like I understood why all these kickoff guys were always emphasizing lane integrity and, you know, not, you know, not creating more seams and, you know, that, that you learn that pretty quick, hopefully not the hard way, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an area that I think um, we spend a lot of time in because I I've seen it because during that time when we weren't winning, the things that was keeping us in games was our special teams play. Cause we could hang there, you know I mean? That was, that at least was a place that we had some confidence in, um, you know, but I, you know, I will say as much time as we spent on special teams, like, you know, in, in one game we were going to win and, you know, a team took, took two interceptions back, 199 yards and 100 yards. There was no punt team that was going to fix that. So, right, you know, right. Um, I think you got to be realistic about it, you know, uh, yeah. you know, uh, stick to the fundamentals and offensive defense, worry about scheme there. But I think to your point earlier about keep it simple um, and, and allow your kids to have confidence in what they're doing. You know, I don't think you need to have crazy schemes, you know, that, there's certainly at the higher levels, you know, I, I think the need for it just because the ability to scout and to be able to be able to have tendencies. Yeah. Um, but at the high school level or, you know, lower college level, you know, I, I, I think it's, it comes down to execution as it probably doesn't at, even at the highest levels. But, you know, I think giving your kids a place where they can just line up and, you know, pin their ears back and go do their job. Um, I, I believe that's a byproduct on our end because that, that we do well with it. Um, because we, we do emphasize it as much as we do. I, you know, I, it's, it's incredibly important to me. And certainly, as I mentioned earlier, a integral part in what we do football wise. Yeah. And I love hearing that because uh, I, you know, I was like the special teams, like psycho on our staff and, you know, I'd be all over kids, like on like punt, you know, trying to punt, you know, pin them within the 10 and like, you know, where are you? Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Where's the ball? You know, like running down the field and like, I, yeah, I was nuts, but you know, in games, there are games I could go back to and being like, yeah, pun team really pinned teams and got us good field position. When we got them free and out on the other end. And now we got the ball at like their 45 or 40 yard line, like, and we're four down territory unless we do terrible on that first series, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I, I was known as a, as a staff psycho for sure when it came to special teams. Um, and obviously coaching at, you know, at Tufts, um, it's a great academic school. So, you know, you're not only like you mentioned it earlier with your, with your teams, like, you know, you had kids that were doing well in the classroom and succeeding outside the program. And so it's a tough school to get not only kids who academically can handle it, but also can handle playing division three football. So how do as far as recruiting goes, I mean, how do you guys divvy it up? I mean, how far are you really looking out realistically in the country? Are you looking more in New England? I mean, yeah. how do you go about recruiting uh, classes? Yeah, I think, you know, luckily at Tufts, you know, we're a national recognition. We have 27 States represented on our, in, in our program. Um, you know, we have a, an admissions department that I think we have great relationships with and appreciate the opportunity that um, not just football, but all of our sports get to, you know, reach out to and maybe get into some regions that you might not, you know, typically get a kid. Um, I, you know, I, I think one of the cool things about Tufts is, you know, we are a major research university, uh, even though we have a liberal arts component to us, you know, our um, STEM-based, you know, research and learning component to our university is is top-notch. It's one of yeah. the best in the world, right? Um, so, you know, if, if you want to be an engineer, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a dentist, you want to be a vet, you know, um, you want to be a computer scientist, a mechanical engineer, a chemical, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. While at the same time, you want to be a lawyer and, and be a history major, awesome. 
You know, we also have the Fletcher School of International Law and Diplomacy, which is one of the top IR programs in the world. Like the former dean was a four-star admiral, you know, ran the UN, right? So like, yeah. I, I think we offer a, a, wide, a wide range of academic interests. And, and, and we really try to lead with that, you know? I mean, I, I, I specifically in the recruiting process set the tone early and uh, of look if you, you got to love football if you want to if you want to play for us right you know it, it needs to be important to you but that same competitiveness and that same passion you need to have in the classroom right this is not a place where you can just show up and punch in like I I, I wouldn't have survived at Tufts but it just it, it's it's a place where you know you, you're going to be supported it's not like they're going to let you fail um, but it's also not like you can just like you know Right. Coast. You know, right. Like, yeah, it's just, it just doesn't work like that. So yeah. we, we, I think I've just learned to, to, to make sure that we're just really upfront about that. You know, I mean, that's kind of go the other way. You know, some of you might negatively recruit against us with that. Like, Hey, it's a really tough place. You're going to have to really go to school. And ultimately if a kid doesn't want that, then that's okay. Cause that's, that's also, you don't, you don't want to bring a kid into an environment that they're not going to be able to thrive in, right. you know? Um, you know, I think it's okay. Every once in a while, take some risks and the, and the like, you know, I've seen kids, some of our best players, one of our best players ever, uh, a kid from Haverhill, you know, certainly had not figured it out academically yet, you know, uh, and that kid ended up being a, a two-time offensive player, player of the year in the league and uh, made the Dean's List the last four semesters of his, of his college career and was one of 12 seniors to win an award at graduation, you know, like, and that, in my opinion, is one of the coolest things that I've experienced at Tufts seeing someone embrace that environment, challenge themselves a little, a little bit. And there it was, it was some slugging early on, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was this time where like football kept him motivated, but then also he was surrounded by people that were doing well and he didn't like not doing well. Right. And I think Tufts is in a, pl a place that can embrace people like that too, that um, can really tap into their potential. And, you know, um, like I tell him someday, I can't wait to work for him. So he's, you know, <laughs> That's awesome. No. And yeah. I think that's, it's just, it's obviously it's again, like character building type program. It seems that's the type of guy you are like check in, check out when you're there, you're working hard. And that's what Tufts is. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I have friends that have gone there and played basketball there and yeah. it's a tough schedule. It's a tough class. It's a very good school. And you know, you go anywhere on a job and you flash your Tufts diploma, you're going to get it. <laughs> you're going to yeah. get the job. Uh, well I always thought it was an indicator too. Like when we were losing all those games, I mean, I mean, like we couldn't win a rocks, paper, scissors, shoot tournament. And, <laughs> you know, like there was still a ton of dudes knocking on the door being like, Hey, I want to come look at Tufts, you know? And like, yeah. well, you know, we haven't won. Right. You know, and they're yeah. like, yeah, it's cool. Like it, so that was a really good indicator. I think of, again, when you talk about infrastructure from university, there's like, that's a, an important component. I mean, eight miles from downtown Boston, yeah. you know, you draw a 20 mile radius around Tufts. There's, 44 year institutions is half a million college age kids between Tufts and I don't know, Fenway park, Northeastern, right? Right. Now you got the green line coming in. So now it's even yeah. more, you know, you know, so, so that access part uh, is a significant part of it. And again, I could rattle off all of the other accolades that Tufts has, but you know, and what's better than Medford, right? So a little shout out to, hey, to your hey, hometown. Listen, I'll take that. I'll take that. Home of Bob's. Uh, right? Were you a Bob's guy? Is that your, I'd say Bob's Lakash's. I was kind of right oh, in the Lakash's middle. I was on Harvard Street, so I was kind of like, I think Lakash is probably a little closer, but yeah, yeah, we go back and forth. You couldn't go wrong either way. So, um, 
So obviously, you know, you talk about building a program. We've talked about, you know, the ups and downs of a program and so on and so forth. What do you have coming back this season? What's the squad looking like a little bit? And, and what's the league looking like? Yeah. I mean, I, I think honestly, that's, that's the, it's the question everybody's asking each other, right? I think there's a lot of talent out there. I think within the league, you know, Williams, uh, Williams returns a lot of their seniors. Um, their quarterback is fantastic. Uh, Duxbury kid. Um, last name is Mamron. He's a kid that people should keep an eye out for. Unbelievable competitor, su- super bright kid, you know, uh, really, really talented person. Um, they're bringing back a ton of, a ton of seniors. Uh, they've got some good local kids. Uh, I think Middlebury, you know, they were the first team to go nine and zero last year. Um, they return a ton of, and I mean, I mean, fifth year seniors. So they got guys that took yeah, a semester sense. off and are coming back, yeah. um, which I think is going to be a significant impact because other than that, I mean, you got a lot of kids that haven't played a ton of football out there. You know, I, I get almost 60 kids that have never been in a locker room. You know, I get yeah. 30 incoming, you know, I get two, essentially two freshman classes, those sophomores, what they experienced last year. It's not I a mean, season. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we were lucky. We had a little bit of a spring, but the fall was, you know, so, but I'm excited. I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think we got a lot of talent. I think the staff's done an unbelievable job recruiting. I think, you know, we're really looking forward to what we have. I think um, we should have a, you know, a good solid footing on offense for skill wise uh, defensively. I know we got a ton of kids that can tackle, yeah. uh, you know, we just got to make sure we can find some guys that can get them lined up, uh, you know, and, and uh, as you know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta have a great lockdown corner because, Everybody in the league's at least got one guy. And, got one guy, absolutely. You know, most most of us now in this league have more than one guy, and you got to cover a slot and a single receiver. And you know, I'm glad I'm on offense. I'm not going to lie. Anthony. Yeah, but, I mean, you know. you know, I always say, especially with like, and even when I schemed defensively in high school, was you know that old age decision. I guess you see the Patriots do it a lot. It's like, do you put your lockdown guy in your number two, and then you double their number one, and now you've taken their best two guys out? I mean, that's like the old age question. I used to flirt with that a lot and you know sometimes i gambled correctly and sometimes i gambled incorrectly doing it so um yeah defensive side of the ball i give them a shout out man i'm a defensive guy and sometimes these sets and the speed and the plays and the quickness yeah yeah. it's you can't simulate in practice either you know so and at least at the high school level you can't and you may not even have enough guys to play scout defense on the other side so you see teams come out that first series and they're just so much faster and you're like all right we just got we're there guys. We're missing by a few steps. We just got to adjust the speed and we'll be okay. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. Shout out to defense there. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so w- the last question I really like to ask a lot of coaches and you've been around coaching and you're, you're a dedicated guy and building a program and obviously coaches have their up and down. It's balance and family with coaching. I think, you know, yeah. you're a dad of young kids as am I. So I understand that, you know, at the end of the day, you bring things home with you that you have to kind of learn to let go at the door because you have kids and a wife that are waiting for you that have been waiting to talk to you all day and see you all day. And, you know, you got to be able to balance both. So how do you, how do you do that? Especially at the college level? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's hard, right? It's uh, one of the reasons that I, that I chose to go to division three and not say division one level. And this isn't a knock on any of those guys at the D one level. I mean, everybody's got their passions and reasons for why they want to do it, but, you know, I, I, I often thought about when I was GN, you know, at the end, of, at the end of a week, I probably saw the full-time guys' families more than they did, you know, whether they were on the road recruiting and I had to go mow a lawn or, you know, 
Right. Like one time I had to build like a like like a outdoor playhouse, you know, <laughs> I mean, which which really was a shed, but we won't leave it at that. Yeah. Um, you know, I I we I was lucky to be on a staff with coach. You know, family was important to him. His kids were around. Everybody's kids were around, so that was great. But you know, for me, like I, you know, I it's important to me that I'm in my daughter's lives. So you know, I get two elementary school kids, and um, you know, I, I bring them to school every morning. You know, so. Uh, I think actually, you know, COVID obviously, I think has made all of us kind of emphasize some of those things that are really important to us. But I think at the same time, it's also made us think a little bit differently about how we work, you know, in our line of work, like, you know, for some reason, there's always been this, you know, we have a staff meeting at 7am, you know, you go through the day with football practices, you know, meetings at three practices at four, you're off the field at 630. You know, you call your family, you kiss them goodnight, you do a FaceTime you know, and then you're making recruiting calls and then you're watching film and then, you know, you just not stop. It's not 15 hours later. And then you do it again the next day for, you know, for us, 12 straight weeks, you know? So, um, I, I think you just need to be intentional about what, what, what you want. Um, and you got to surround yourself with guys that are equally as focused that way. Right. You know, um, cause for some guys, they might get frustrated by that. You know, if, if you have a staff where half the guys are dads and you know, the other half are just young guys, like, and they don't, and those young guys are going to get frustrated that you're going to do a, you know, a staff meeting at 10 rather than seven in the morning. Like, you know, some of those things I think can be problematic, but it, it's important to me that uh, the, the fathers and husbands or whatever, you know, partners that are, that are in our, in our uh, staff uh, have that, that other aspect of their life and appreciate it. You know, like division three, you're probably not going to be able to pay guys nearly the same amount of money that all the other levels do particularly when you live in Boston, yeah. but I think you can always, you can always give value back to those guys in giving them some freedom in their lives. Um, you know, not that, not that in season we work any more or any less than anybody else, but you know, th- there are some elements and aspects in particular within the NESCAC that I think um, if it's important to you, it's, it's a great place to be able to be and coach, but it, it's hard, you know, and, and you're part about taking things home. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably one of the areas that I, I try to focus on as much as I can, you know, that ride home, you know, I listen to a guy talk. I don't know if you have, you know, the above the line group, um, uh, uh, Urban Meyer wrote a book called above the line There's a group, uh, the focus three, their, their whole mantra is E, e plus R equals O. Uh, so the event plus the response equals the outcome. And their belief is, you know, you really have no control over the events that come your way. Uh, and ultimately you don't, have a final say on the outcome to that event but what you can do is you can control your response to things right um and trying to figure out what your triggers are that make you respond below the line right and at the same time what structures and disciplines you can build within yourself to make sure that you respond to things above the line right so and you know you spend all this time thinking about you know i'm studying these guys and going to their their seminars and thinking how this applies to football then one day one of the seminars the guy said well this applies to you the minute you pull the car into the driveway and you walk into the house upset that you lost a recruit and that, you know, your safety can't get the defense lined up and blah, blah, you know, all the things that were in your way and, you know, realize that that event of coming home is just as important as the event. Like, what are you going to do on fourth and one, you know, on the, on the plus 40, you know? So I I think, I think a lot of us probably have a lot more of the skill set than we believe. It's just, you know, taking a step back to realize how, how can we apply it a little bit better 
in other aspects of our life, you know, but that easier said than done. I, if I brought my wife down on this, she'd tell you I'm terrible at responding. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. My wife takes a selective hearing and everything else. And, I just come home. and it's hard, you know, you really try to let it go at the door and it's not easier said than done. Like, you know, I used to come home from Tuesday practice of being like, we're terrible. We're terrible. You know, because you're just implementing the game plan and like you make so many mistakes at practice and you're like, Oh my God, you know? So I totally get it. I totally get it. So I want to thank you for coming on here. We're going to jump into our last segment of the show. It's called the two minute drill. So it's kind of like a rapid fire, quick one or two word answer questions. My coaches love it. It's their favorite segment of the show and uh, it's meant to be a lot of fun. So I'm just going to fire some rapid fire questions at you and just give me one or two word answers. I do get a challenge. If I want to hear you explain something a little bit more and vice versa, if you want to explain something, go for it. All right. All right. So I'll start my timer here and here we go. Fourth and three from the three yard or fourth and goal from the three yard line. What are you running? Uh, Play action pass uh, back in the flat corner out all day. Okay. Um, defensively, if there was one coverage you could ideally line up in the entire game, what would it be? <laughs> I mean, we've got to play man free. If, we, if I can pick one and we can be – my defense coordinator is going to kill me if he hears this. So. <laughs> He's man free. Let's go. A big zero guy. I was a big zero guy back in the day. Um, awesome. I love that. Um, uh, week four, NFL, Patriots, uh, Belichick versus Brady. Who's winning the game? What's the weather? um <laughs> when is when is it they will say a, well, i think they're playing week four so it's probably end of september beginning of october Ooh. so it's I mean, probably like 75 I'm, I'm a diehard pats fan i my my father used to work the pats games when i was a kid he was a spotter for nbc so i you know i i actually have dirt in my office from from sullivan stadium from foxborough oh, wow. stadium so I can't never, I'm never voting going against the past. That is a diehard fan right there. Yeah. I mean, you can say that. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, what song still gets you juiced up before a game? Maybe you hear it. You got to listen to it to kind of get you pumped up. I mean, I, not, I mean, any rage against the machines or, uh, you know, uh, gosh, a little Danzig, a little Metallica, you know, I, I, I was a little different back then. So <laughs> uh, what's te- what team in conference is the toughest row game to go play in? Ooh, the Williams game's a tough ride for us because it's three and a half hours out there and it's, just, it's the day of. Um, that, that's a pretty tough place to play, and I'm always going to give a shout-out to, to Trinity down in the coop, you know, hard-hitting Hartford. That's not a lot of people get to roll into a place like that. So, <laughs> All right, Coach, and last question. Would you rather win a game like 3 nothing, or would you rather win a game in a shootout? I just want to win. So win, win's a win. <laughs> win's a win. Uh, win's it. a win. When you lost as many as we did, <laughs> pick however you get them. <laughs> All right, Coach. You survived the two-minute drill. And, uh, you. you know, I just want to thank you for coming on here. It was an honor to have you on here. It was a great talk. I mean, I really enjoy myself. I felt like I've known you. Like, it was just a real fun time. So I hope you enjoyed right. it as well. Yeah, I appreciate it uh, a, a lot. You guys do an awesome job. And I know you've done a ton in your hometown, too. And, you know, I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be here and, um, lo- love what you're doing and excited to, to see where this thing goes. So. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, uh, you know, guys, until next time, Jay Savetti, Tufts University. I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis. Uh, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. Be well.